Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Stephanie Stuckey. If you've ever taken a family vacation in an old station wagon facing backwards, you know the Stuckey name. Stephanie has made it her mission to recapture that classic Stuckey's brand, one pecan log roll at a time. Stephanie, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about how you are resurrecting an iconic brand, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Well, coffee, of course. And lately I've been adding a few perk me up like cinnamon. So I like to put a little sprinkle of cinnamon with a cinnamon stick. I'll stir it with a cinnamon stick. And it has health benefits as well as taste and smell wonderful. So it's a great way to wake up. What's the health benefit to the cinnamon? I don't know. I read it somewhere. <laughs> I'll Google it. Uh, no pecan? I've tried to find a good tasting pecan coffee and so far they all taste a little too fake yeah. a lot of chemicals i'm a real snob when it comes to pecans and coffee and trying to pair the two in a way that tastes really good so far the best thing i've done is i'll just eat pecans with my coffee right? <laughs> well i was going to say if anyone knows the best way to present a pecan i think it's you and i'm going to take your word that they don't mix real well with currently what's in coffee maybe it's the next stucky's product to work on Maybe. Oh, okay. So just while we were talking, I did Google the advantage of cinnamon <laughs> in your coffee is it helps maintain blood sugar and energy levels. So I was right about the energy piece. Well, that's good to know. Well, I do want to talk about how you got where you are. You grew up around the family business, but you grew up in Washington, D.C. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you went to Georgia and you got a law degree and your dad was a congressman. How did you start there and get where you are? Well, I think the important thing about my story that hopefully will resonate with others is that life's journey, your career path is not always straight. It's a zigzag, but those detours are so important. I didn't have my life's trajectory perfectly planned with taking over Stuckey's. In fact, my grandfather sold the company a year before I was born. So I grew up around the company, but by no means in the company. It was no longer our company. It just had our name, which certainly is a strong emotional connection. But we would stop at Stuckey's like everyone else. And I couldn't just go grab product off the shelves. <laughs> we had to pay for it. I wasn't this heir apparent who grew up with a sense of entitlement. Stuckey's was not ours. And so I pursued a career in public service was my passion. And I thought a law degree was the ticket to that, which was, it's a really great degree to have. I'm a big advocate for getting a solid foundation in education and liberal arts. I have an undergraduate degree in French, but I took all sorts of classes and I enjoyed philosophy and English and writing. And I've always loved writing and reading. And then a law degree, you can translate that into so many things, just like you can a marketing degree or a master's of business degree. So I think you can use your education in so many different ways if you want to be an entrepreneur. I know you've got a lot of entrepreneurs on your show. So I was in the state legislature for 14 years. 
I was an environmental attorney and I was head of sustainability for city of Atlanta. I got the completely unexpected opportunity at age 53 to buy what was left of Stuckey's. And we can get into all that, but we are no longer making our money off of the store. So that's one of the biggest challenges we have is we have a whole generation of people who talk about our stores in terms of shopping at the brick and mortar, which we don't own. And so we've had to reinvent not just the brand, but how we make money and how we grow the company. And I've noticed that you're more focused on the products, but I do want to go back a little bit. Um, Your dad was a congressman. How much did that influence your public service desire to go into that field? You grew up in D.C. Your dad was a congressman, so you were around all that. Was that the big draw? Of course. You can't grow up in D.C., in my opinion, and not be infected with the political virus for which there is no cure other than death. Really, <laughs> I am a lifelong political groupie. I love reading about politics. I'm now no longer active in politics because my number one priority is duckies and we are apolitical, but I definitely follow politics with a passion. I love reading about it. Well, everyone eats pecan log rolls, Republicans and Democrats. So That's know. right. <laughs> And you mentioned you were in the state house in Georgia for 14 years. That's right. You were a lawyer. So did you also have a law firm at that time or were you just focused on the house? I did. I practiced law and I had two kids and juggled a lot, which is why I think this is a bit of a side note, but I think parents who are actively engaged in child rearing make the best entrepreneurs because you multitask and you have to multitask out of necessity. And we always say family comes first at Stucky. So if someone's child has a school play and they need to leave work early, which happened the other day with one of our management team, there were no questions asked because we we know we're all adults. We're going to get the job done and respecting that we have full and rich lives that aren't just in the workplace. And I think the employees appreciate that. It's building a culture. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen change a bit, particularly over the last decade, and and COVID might have even accelerated a little bit, more of a focus of everyone's got a life. There's no great pride in working 12 hours a day. And getting out of that workaholic mentality, I think, is good for all of us individually and for our families. And the reality is we spend a lot of time in the workplace as well. So trying to recreate that sense of family and belonging and teamwork is important as well. So I think that belief and that passion for family, however one defines family, family can be the people you choose to spend your time with as well as the people that you share blood with and share a a biological connection with. And so we really, we really believe strongly in that whole sense of family and stuff. We're not just a family business. We want family to be infused in everything we do. It's all about family. Let's talk about that a little bit, because you mentioned that your grandfather sold the stores before you were born, and it went to, lack of a better term, big corporation, and it probably got a little cold. And what I mean by that, didn't have that family sense, because I do follow you on social media, and I see a lot of the history. Can you talk a little bit about how your grandfather started it and that sense of family that he had and for everyone that worked for him before he sold the stores and then like to catch it up to you coming back and trying to reestablish that? 
Sure. He started the company in 1937 during the Great Depression as a roadside pecan stand. And he built it from there into what really was the first roadside retail chain. Before there was Love's or TA or Pilot or Bucky's, there was Stucky's. And at our peak, there were over 350 stores in 40 states. He owned a candy plant, a trucking company, a distribution center, and a sign-making company that produced 4,000 billboards all over the nation's highway. So we were synonymous with the road trip. And we peaked during that era that you referenced when we would take family vacations in Woody station wagons. And nobody thought anything of getting in a car for four days to go on a road trip and go to Florida for summer vacation. Whereas today, everyone gets in the plane. And the road trip is starting to make a comeback. But the peak was really during the golden era, like 50s, 60s, and 70s. But the company was sold. We had a series of outside corporate owners. And then the road trip declined as well. So when I had this opportunity to revive the brand, I had to, one, look at the reality. There's only 13 of those original stores still standing. We don't own or operate any of them. There are a handful of them that look good. And there's some that, frankly, don't look so good. And we don't own them. Those stores generate, I'll be generous and say 5% of our revenue. It's such a small part of what we are. That doesn't mean those stores aren't very important to us when we certainly care about them. But our growth is because we purchased a manufacturing facility outside of Augusta, Georgia, and we make the pecan snacks and candy that my grandfather used to make at that roadside stand. We're literally going back to our pecan roots, and we're sourcing our pecans from local farmers, and we're now selling to some 5,000 retailers all over the Southeast and trying to expand beyond there slowly and deliberately. But that's our future, is making the most delicious pecan snacks and candies you'll find anywhere. How did he start making those candies? Was that something that he created in his kitchen? How did that come to be? My grandmother. Ah. The story, believe it or not, I think at some point the story became real. We've heard it so much in my family. (laughs) He was sitting on the side of the road waiting for cars to pull over, and it was the hot Georgia sun. And... He got this idea that more people would pull over if he offered something other than just fresh crop and shell pecans. So he ran the mile to the farm where he and my grandmother lived, and he interrupted her bridge game with her sisters. And he interrupted her and said, we need to make candy. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't know how to make candy. He's like, here, take these pecans and make some candy. It'll get more people to pull over. So she looked at all her bridge partners. They were a lot of her sisters, too, and said, all right, ladies, let's get in the kitchen and figure out how to make candy. So the bridge club became the candy club for the first five years of Stuckey's. That little country kitchen turned out praline, divinity, fudge, and then what became our signature to this day, our signature candy, the pecan log roll. That's my grandmother's recipe. Now, I've had so many people lay claim to the pecan log roll. So to be factually accurate, what I will say is maybe we didn't invent it. I don't know. I think my big mama did invent it. But even if we didn't, we certainly made it famous. Uh, You perfected it. We're home with the original pecan log roll. So all of that started just kind of with the side of the road stand and getting the bridge club to turn into the candy club. Exactly. 
That's a great story. And back related to your grandfather, once things got rolling and he started to grow, you talked about business being like family. And from some of the things I've seen that you post on social media, you talked a little bit about how your grandfather treated the folks who worked for him like family. Can you touch on that a little bit? Well, just the simple gestures that matter. Here's something so simple that anyone can do. Ask the people you work with how their day is going and how are they? And then genuinely be interested in the answer and remember what they say. So next time you see them, you can say, oh, you were feeling under the weather the other day. You feeling better now? Whatever. Like pay attention. Be present. It's that simple yet critical act of engagement. A thing my grandfather did is he would get to the factory every morning, the candy plant, and greet workers by name, shake their hands as they walked in to do their shift. How important is that? You know, that's awesome. And he would frequently visit his stores and he always knew their names. Even, listen, none of us are, I'm sure there's some people out there who are just naturally gifted with names. It, you know, I think it's a bit of a cop out when people say, oh, well, I'm just not good with names. Well, Get good. Yeah, get better. <laughs> you know, get good at that because knowing people's names matters and engage with them. And now that we're in the world of social media, if I go to our candy plant, I try not to just take a selfie of myself, but get photos with the team and elevate them and post that. And of course, we do have them sign a release because not everyone wants to be on social media. So Engage with them and meet them where they are is important. So I've taken what my grandfather did and try to put a fresh modern spin on it. What would he have done if he lived today in an era where you have iPhones and Instagram? And hopefully I'm doing some of what he would do and then also doing what I would do. You know, you got to reinvent the brand and put your own imprint on it. That leads me to the next question on that is you grew up around Stuckey's, but it was owned by someone else. So you cut your own path with the legal profession. How did all of that prepare you to take over Stuckey's? Well, I think it's important to remember your life skills are transferable no matter what you do. Yes, there are certain technical areas of expertise you may need, like how to grade a pecan or the process where we make our roasted snack pecans, you know, some of that is very technical. But frankly, if you're more in the leadership role, you hire for that and you put good people in and you learn their jobs so you can understand what they're doing, but you, you let them do their job. So I learned skills that are transferable. I was a trial attorney for quite a while. I actually started my career as a public defender and I was a criminal defense lawyer. So I'm very comfortable in front of a crowd advocating for very difficult causes. And then in the Georgia legislature, I was often advocating for the minority voice that wasn't always heard. And with my role here at Stuckey's, I see one of my biggest jobs is to advocate for the underdog, and that's Stuckey's. We're a scrappy comeback brand. So I'm constantly out there beating the drum of, Duckies is here. Pay attention to us. (laughs) Buy our pecan snacks if you see us on your snack aisle. Buy our candies if you see us in the candy aisle. And trying to get through to a whole new generation of customers who didn't grow up 
traveling on the interstate highway. And in a way, that customer is almost easier for us to reach because the older customer is like, okay, I'm going to go visit your stores and help you out. And I'm like, please don't. Please don't spend (laughs) three days going to Paxico, Kansas to see one store. Go to your Hobby Lobby down the street and help us with our sell-through rate. Now, let me be very clear. We absolutely love that store in Paxico, Kansas. And if you're driving through Kansas, by all means, pull over. We want you to stop there. But our brand is being reinvented as a CPG, as a consumer packaged good. So the number one message I'm constantly trying to get across to the older generation of consumer is we're not the brick and mortar stores that we used to be. That is a respected and wonderful part of our past. And we love the stores that are still there and we wholeheartedly support them. But we're growing in this new way that is profitable and is our future. I want to ask you about when you decided to purchase the brand. Where were you in life? Was it, I'm not sure what I want to do next, or this is a great brand. I can't believe that it's gotten in this kind of shape. What was that decision-making process that took you out of the legal profession and into the pecan log roll profession? Well, I was actually in the sustainability world at that point. I had been head of sustainability for the city of Atlanta, and then I transferred over when we got a new mayor to head of sustainability for a large nonprofit called South Face based in Atlanta, but they worked throughout the Southeast and throughout the country. So I was really happy with my life. I had absolutely no intent to change. I was not in the doldrums or sitting around thinking, what can I do next? I was doing it. This opportunity came to me. I literally was sitting at my desk working on some environmental projects for work and got a call from one of the investors who owned Stuckey's and not to get too in the weeds, but We had a couple of different outside large corporate owners, and then my dad and his partners got it back in the mid-80s, but they were running several other companies that were, frankly, a lot more profitable, and they kept Stuckey's afloat with one of their other businesses, which was Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation. So they owned the franchise rights to Dairy Queen stores on the highway. So they were pairing what was left with Stuckey's with Dairy Queen. That's how they kept Stuckey's afloat for decades, then they sold Dairy Queen, their Dairy Queen business to Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, who owns American Dairy Queen. So all that infrastructure that had been, frankly, propping Stuckey's up was gone. And the principals all retired because they were getting older and they just made a lot of money selling to Berkshire Hathaway. So there was a decade there where Stuckey's, frankly, had just a handful of employees, all very dedicated and hardworking. But when you don't have infrastructure, you don't have support, you can't run a franchise program that way. It fails. You cannot run a franchise program that is robust and super profitable with five employees, which is what what we had. And they were six figures in debt. And my dad and his business partners weren't getting any younger. And the company was losing money. And so I got a call from one of my dad's former business partners who said, we're selling our shares of Stuckey's. Do you want to buy it? That's what happened. And it took me about two months to do due diligence and decide I I wanted to do it. I reached out to my cousins and siblings 
Nobody else was interested. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, they'd ask the others before me. Like I literally was sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. (laughs) Uh, And and, in a way that empowered me, bit of a chip on my shoulder. So I'm a big believer. Those of you out there who feel like you've been passed over, rejected, you weren't the first choice, embrace that. That's your superpower because that makes you stronger because you got something to prove. (laughs) And there's, there's nothing more powerful than someone who's got something to prove. That's such a great point. There's nothing like having someone doubt what you can do, that drive to show them how wrong they are. Yeah. So when you took over, two questions on that. What was the biggest challenge and what was the most pleasant surprise for you once you got into it? Uh, The biggest challenge was trying to figure out how I was going to make the company profitable. And it took me over a year to figure it out. It it was a lot of reviewing financials, writing so many strategic plans. I lost count. I have all the different drafts of them, and some of them make me cringe now. They were so off base. I went and toured all the stores. Some of them looked so bad. I remember one, I just sat in the parking lot and cried. It looked so bad. So when people tell me, revive the stores, I'm like, you want to give me easily, it would cost $10 million to just start a franchise program. I didn't have anywhere near that capital. I'd sunk my entire life savings into buying stuckies, even though it was in debt, still had some brand value and it, it cost me my life savings. And so I didn't have access to capital. No lender was loaning to us to revive a roadside retail chain that sold gas. I learned that gas operations are harder to get financing. Uh, So it took me quite a while to find, if you read Good to Great by Jim Collins, which I highly recommend, he talks about the hedgehog principle, right? You got to figure out what is it that you can do better than anyone else in the world that you're passionate about and that can make money. And that intersection, that Venn diagram, that is what you do. And it took a while, but I realized what we can do better than anyone else is make the most delicious pecan snacks you'll find anywhere. And I'm passionate about that. And it'll make us money. When you took over the companies, the intention at that time was not to just focus on the consumer product goods. It was still the brick and mortar. At what point did you make that turn? Which number in the strategic plans was that? Number 10, number 20? Oh, I lose count. I, I, had a, <laughs> I actually did have, I have an aha moment story, but in reality, there's lots of thought that goes into how you turn a brand around. And it's talking to other people and talking to your team and getting advice, and getting feedback and learning for yourself. But there was a critical point where I was at this one store that looked so bad the roof was falling in and that's when I sat in the parking lot crying and I thought, mm. how am I going to revive this brand? This store looks awful. Most of the stores look awful. We're losing money. We don't own manufacturing. All of our products have been outsourced for decades. The quality had suffered. We didn't own any real estate or assets other than dusty inventory in a rented warehouse that was still operating as a distribution center in Eastman, but it was rented. We didn't own anything anymore. All that had been sold. So I was sitting in the parking lot crying and I decided I needed to go in the store because I'd driven two days to be there. So I walk in and what surprised me was that the store had people in it and they were buying stuff. And I looked at what they were buying 
You know what they were buying? Pecan log rolls? Pecan log rolls. Yeah. And I thought, that's what we need to do. And I called our corporate headquarters, which is kind of joke, rented office with two tiny cubicles and two people in it. And I called the person who managed our accounts at the time. And I said, is this store profitable? And she said, they actually are making money. And they're selling a lot of pecan log rolls and pecan snacks. And I thought, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> the numbers don't lie. I can have all these fanciful notions about how I want to revive the stores, but hope is not a strategy for reviving a business. You have to look at the finances. <laughs> and that's what was making us money. So how do you make money if you are consumer packaged goods? Well, it's really hard to make money if you don't make the product yourself because you're paying someone else to make it. And then on top of that, you're not their top priority. So this was during COVID where everything was backlogged and supplies were limited. So all of our co-packers, and those are the manufacturers who make the product for you, they call them co-packers, our co-packers were prioritizing products that they made for themselves. And so we had delays and frankly, the quality wasn't as good as when my grandparents made it. It's never going to be as good. And we didn't have the margins there. By the time we paid them to make the product for us, added our markup for our distribution center, and then we had the shipping cost, it was hard to make that model work. And in fact, we weren't making it work. We were losing money. So the one way I thought we could have a path forward is manufacturing. And fortunately, during COVID, there was money to be had in small business loans in rural communities for manufacturing related to creating jobs and economic development. Those loan programs weren't out there for roadside convenience stores, but they were there for manufacturing in rural communities. So there was a financial path forward. And you can't do some of this stuff alone. You got to recognize where you've got weak points. And I needed help. So I got a business partner. He's a third generation pecan farmer. His name's R.G. Lamar. He's amazing. And the two of us bought this manufacturing plant together. And then last year, we brought in a third partner, Ted Wright, who's a marketing genius. And he owns 10%, and R.G. and I own 45%. So R.G. and I are more the day to day, hands on. But Ted is very much a partner who gives a lot of his time and expertise to building the brand as well. So I call us the three amigos and we've turned the company around. We're now profitable. We've gone in the last couple of years since we bought the manufacturing facility, we've gone from two to 14 million in sales. Wow. It's working. And we've gone from a couple of hundred retailers that sold our product to thousands of retailers and we're growing every day. A great success story, but it's not necessarily the path you saw when you first took over Stuckey's, but you adjusted along the way. You have to. If you want to move forward, quite often you have to let go. Letting go is just as important as embracing what is working. You have to let go of what's not working. And if you can't do that, you're going to fail. Yeah. You just have to let go of what's not working. And it broke my heart to say we're not building brick and mortar stores. And I still think at some point, if we're profitable enough, we could own a handful of stores that are Stuckey's, that would be our stores, that would be truly brand forward. But that is not the future of our brand. We're focused on what we know we can do, which is make the most delicious pecan snacks anywhere. 
And you've said an important word for most entrepreneurs out there is focus. It's very easy to be into a million different things, but until, as you said, the numbers don't lie, you focus in on that and really exploit that for lack of a better term. You're going to struggle, at least in my opinion. 100%. Um, two more questions. One of them I know a lot of people really want to know, pecan or pecan? I tend to slip into pecan because I'm from South Georgia. But I do what my grandfather did, which is he pretty much would match whatever the person he was talking to was saying. So it's all about the customer. It's all about the audience. It's all about who you're talking with. Whatever you say, it's delicious, right? I've also heard it's pecan when you pick them and pecan when you sell them. <laughs> there you go. That's a nice compromise. Yeah. yeah. I'll go with that. Okay, Stephanie, last question. And I'd like you to think about this a second. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is really important for a happy life? Just be fully present. Be in the moment. And that has gotten me through some really tough times where I think, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Those anxiety attacks that you especially get if you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur, it's not like you see on TV where they get the funding on Shark Tank and high five and everything <laughs> goes smoothly. It is hard work and it is anxiety inducing and having people on a payroll and having to meet payroll and the struggle for cash flow is real. But what gets me through it is thinking, can I get through this moment right now, right here where I'm at? Yeah, I can. Okay. Then you can get through the next moment. Just be fully present. And you just keep moving forward. You just keep, you just stay in the moment. You give it your all. And life has a way of working itself out. Now, having said that, we have strategic plans for forward thinking. It's not that you don't plan for the future, but you don't obsess over the future. And you don't worry about the past. You learn from the past. You've got lessons that inform what you do right now in the present. But I can't stress enough, just being fully, fully present. Control what you can control. One of my favorite lines from a Tom Petty song is, as sure as night turns to day, most of the things I worry about don't happen anyway. Right. And if it happens, it happens and you worry about it when it happens. But to worry about something that hasn't happened, that's depriving yourself of the beauty of what, what is happening right now. <laughs> and back to your point, be in the present. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I think meditating and taking time to train your mind to focus on the here and the now is the most powerful thing. The best business book I have ever read, and I love Jim Collins, Good to Great. That's definitely on my list. But the, the best one is Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. It's incredible. And it is about being present. I have read it five times. I try to reread it at least once a year. I certainly listen to excerpts. I've got it on tape. So if I'm on a road trip, I'll I'll put on Eckhart on Audible or just if you just have 10 minutes, he has YouTube videos. I will check that out. It's not a cult. I promise. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a philosophy. It's just about being present. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you being present today for this. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Except for the Google search on the health benefits <laughs> of cinnamon, I was fully present. <laughs> yeah, but you brought valuable information with that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Look forward to continuing to follow you on social media. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.